1: The track too tough to tame is waiting to host one of NASCAR's biggest weekends of the season, a colorful celebration of stock car racing's storied past. The countdown is on to the Southern 500 and NASCAR throwback weekend at historic Darlington Raceway.
0: Darlington is supposed to be the meanest racetrack. This is Darlington International Raceway, the granddaddy of them all. This oval produced victors of uncommon valor. Cale Yarborough and Dave Pearson are moving to a showdown.
1: People are talking about too tough to tame, and I said, if anybody's going to tame it, I'm going to try to tame it. Bill Elliott has won
2: an additional $1
0: million. The lady in black has held up well. With all her Southern spellbinding charm, this is a lady you'll never forget.
1: Welcome into NASCAR America, everybody. Carol Mano-Parker-Clickerman with you, joined by the mayor, Jeff Burton. I got so many things going through my mind right now. Material Girl by Madonna, Super Bowl Shuffle, <laughs> Jeff, uh, Back to the Future. Let's talk some wardrobe first for the weekend. How deep in the closets are you digging to get ready for this 80s throwback at Darlington?
3: Well, fortunately, uh, Rick Allen still dresses the way you're supposed to dress in the 80s, so <laughs> we just borrowed our clothes from him, uh, same as we did last year and the year before as well so uh i don't have any clothes from the 80s so i'm
4: just borrowing ricks
1: do you need us to jog your memory with anything like you might need a
4: slight adjustment on those clothes though
1: do you need any photos uh that we could oh oh wait we have one is this you with a semi mullet this is 85 jeff
3: is that a bouffant that is me and believe it or not that was hot back then (laughs) (laughs) ah you can ask my wife
4: i met she met me Right then, she met me. So you know. I think you're you're mistaking the terminology for hot and like that what that means. All right,
1: now Parker. Well, maybe you...
3: maybe it was just a maybe it was just a uh, the number of choices she had was limited. <laughs> That's
4: that makes more sense. All right, so Parker was born was in
1: 1990. He missed the throwback window by yes. one year. But who are you going to look to for inspiration for the weekend?
4: Well, I won't be there because I'll be in Canada.
1: Oh. racing, oh, but fantastic. I'll be looking
4: to you because I know you're going to be there, so I can't yeah, wait I to will. see what you I, come up I'm with. I'm excited
1: to be there on Friday. I've got some acid-wash denim. I've got a couple of different things planned. We, we
4: agreed you were going to wear neon, too. Some sort of neon thing.
1: Perhaps. So you'll be racing this weekend. You just picked up a top 10 yep. at Road America. Congratulations, Thank by you. the way. I felt like I was a proud big sister watching you. Uh 32-year-old veteran, though. Jeremy Clements was the one who uh, the story was really about. Got the win with his family-run team. That got Jeff Byrne thinking about the current state of the Xfinity Series. And plus, why was Chase Elliott in Amsterdam? And what will he be wearing in Darlington to honor his dad this weekend? We're going to tell you that. And we're going to flash back to Bill's groundbreaking win in the southern 500 that's all coming up but with just two regular season races to go it is chase that holds one of the three remaining monster energy series playoff spots along with matt kenseth and jamie mcmurray elliott still looking for his first win at nascar's top level this season 14 different drivers have taken the checkered flag so let's look back at how each driver has made their mark in our latest victory lane review
0: Finally, after the long cold winter, we're going racing at Daytona. Kurt Busch leads the Daytona 500. He's never won before at Daytona. He will fix that today, winning the 59th edition of the Great American Race. Thank we just do that? I can't believe it. I love you guys. Thank you. Win number two in his career will come in his home state. Kyle Larson. He will score the victory. Get the broom out, baby. You it. All right. At Michigan last August. His first career cup win. Oh, dude, bring it home, maybe. And he wins again today. Heck yeah, buddy. Burn that to the ground. Oh yeah, good job, guys. Good job. We think Slick take a free wide on the outside at once. running a few options through my
5: head right now. What I thought was gonna be best was to push Martin out past the 77. Kyle Lawson with a blinding restart. stop in side draft and
0: Larson to the bottom! Played
5: out perfectly.
0: He's got the
5: He's the best I've seen come along in a while.
0: Kyle, how did you do that? I have no idea. He's just a racer. Oh, my God! Truax across the stripe. He will sweep stage one, stage two, and the win. Jr. Right, you are the fight. Well, we can't believe we're anymore. <laughs> no. He won earlier this year on the mile and a half at Las Vegas. He's gonna do it again tonight. You are the
5: winner, by goodness gracious. And
0: for the twelfth time this season, for the
2: thirteenth time this season, stage winner,
5: MTK. Checkered flag, beer controls,
0: Jr., you damn right. Get saw that. I can't understand what you're saying. Save gas. Martin Truex Jr. will assume the lead. Has he saved enough? Fuel Rollins, Get you some.
5: Martin Truex Jr. will win at the Glen. I've wanted to win here a long, long time. This is a special place, I think, back in the 90s, watching my dad run here and coming here as a kid and spending time in the garage just walking around and wishing someday to race here, let alone win. He was known as the mile-and-a-half guy. Yeah. He's known as a winner now.
0: Brad Keselowski will clinch his first victory ever at Atlanta Motor Speedway. The Miller White Ford on their way to collect the grand Father clock. Tick tock. The winch is dead, boys. Tick tock. Tick tock. The long dry spell will end for Richard Childress Racing. It took him 17 tries, but he is now the winner. Brian Newman pulls it off. Harvick takes the checkered flag. Oh, we did it, baby! This is worth the wait. Bringing that thing to the house. Checkered flag, baby. Joey Logano getting
1: the win. Yeah! Richard again. Come on doing the gun of post-race violations at Richmond that win is now encumbered so it will not count toward his playoff eligibility.
5: The rule is written in this black and white. We pushed a little bit too far and and we'll pay that penalty and we'll move on.
0: Jimmy Johnson the fastest gun in the west here today. Once again the king of Texas. Last to first. How many times have we done that? Jimmy Johnson has won for the second time at Bristol. Bristol! yeah! Whoa! Ty Dillon gets t-boned by Eric Jones. Caution. We are coming to the checkers. You won. Me? What? A wall trip. You're next. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Austin Dillon, Ryan Blaney. Stenhouse Jr. wins at Daytona. He'll take the three car back. 23-year-old Ryan Blaney will score his first career win. That's making a fifth third better, boys. We got to slide the grass, too, bud. I'm sorry you can't talk, bud, but I'm so proud of you today. Ryan Blaney joining Ricky Stenhouse, Jr. and Austin Dillon. America,
4: 1776. Are
0: the and Hamlin goes by for the lead. He's gonna hold off Larson. Yeah, third DH is what
5: I'm talking about. Back up close with I put us behind the E ball uh, on Friday, but uh, it's cool to win one like this. I don't like lobsters, and then when you put like a 44-pound one in my hands, I'm, I'm freaked out. The two best cars are gone. Who is going
3: to grab this opportunity and leave with the Brickyard 400 trophy?
5: I knew if I wasn't leading off turn two, I probably wasn't going to win the, the race. Great restart for the five of Casey King. and the 11 goes around.
0: They wreck behind him. Brad, are you all right? Because you get back here, you're going to be the winner of the Brickyard 400.
4: I was actually emotional in the car.
0: Yeah! Oh, my God. Who would have thought?
5: Unbelievable.
4: I'm going to treasure this forever how hungry is
0: the 18 team for that first win of 2017 contact there oh. the 18 gets into the back of the four moves him out of the way Kyle Bush is gonna win at Pocono
1: I wrote one word down when you cross start finish line finally would that be your word too yeah
0: yeah Bush trying to complete the sweep of the weekend Kyle Bush get out the broom you just swept at bristol yeah, take that. Yes. Yes. and he's getting some booze you gotta feed
5: off that don't you i don't care make the noise who cares
1: Man, so many incredible stories uh, this season and this weekend's going to be big, Jeff. It's going to be a throwback weekend, but the fact remains there are two races now before the playoffs begin. In your estimation, what do you think the biggest storyline is heading into Darlington?
3: Well, I think that, I think the battle to 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 make the playoffs, I think that's, that is it. There's two races left. Uh, it's getting to the point now where we can really discuss who's good at what racetrack's coming up because... Uh, You know, A month ago, we were talking about who overall is good. But really, when you get to this point, can somebody get a win? What teams are weak? What teams are strong uh, going into Darlington? So I think the pressure has begun. It started months ago, but I think now it's clearly on the drivers, the crew chiefs, the car owners, the sponsors. It's clearly on their minds, and there's no escaping it. It's the next two weeks. uh, You had a nice off weekend. I hope you collected your breath because there's a bunch of people that aren't going to be sleeping very well the next few weeks. (laughs) having to find a way to win at Darling to at least have good solid finishes to move themselves into the playoffs.
4: And Jeff, for those that are locked into the playoffs right now, their focus has moved on to Chicagoland, right? And one team in particular I have my eye on, probably no one else is watching, and that is the 48 of Jimmy Johnson because he is once again limping into the playoffs. They have had an abysmal last six races. They did the exact same thing last year, and all of us, as we entered the playoffs, said right off the 48 team, right off the 24, they're not going to be worth anything once they get in the playoffs, and I remember them going into Chicago, and I think they led 1-2 in the first practice, and suddenly had a ton of speed and became a contender. He went on to win his seventh championship. Maybe we are seeing the same thing out of the 48 again. I got to speak to Keith Rodden, who is the crew chief of the five car about Hendrick Motorsports and where he felt like the organization was at. And he said, look, we need to qualify better. We need to find some more speed, but we will be bringing something new to Chicago. And that's what all the teams have told me, is that when they go to Chicago, now that they're locked in the playoffs, they have to unveil something new, something they feel is an improvement to compete. And so I just wonder if that 48 team is doing what we've seen them do so often, which is not really be that flashy going in and then suddenly turn up the wick and be right on pace at, at Chicago.
3: Parker, I've quit trying to figure them out <laughs> <Because> they, <laughs> you I can't. Mean, you know, no, last year I had them not leaving the first round in the playoffs. <laughs> and they won a championship. So I don't think you can watch them in a regular season. But I think one team that you can pay real close attention to, and they've had to turn it up. So I don't know that there's something new and better coming is, you know, Jamie McMurray and his team. So, and even Chip Ganassi for that matter. With playoff points and and all that moving forward into the playoffs, I think that you can't lay back quite like you could in the past. I think there's too much to gain and too much to lose. Jamie McMurray sitting there on the cutoff spot, but look, he's ninth in overall points. I know he's 16th in the playoff standings, but he's ninth in overall points. They have been fairly consistent. The next two weeks, that's what they need to do. If they are consistent... I think they'll move in. Now, if somebody wins a race, I still think, if somebody behind him wins a race, I still think consistency gets it done because it's so close between 14th, 15th, and 16th. So, Jamie McMurray and his team, they've had consistent speed really all year long. They haven't been the fastest car, but they've always run about the same, about every kind of racetrack. When I look at these next two weekends coming up, I think for them, the strategy is to just keep doing what you've been doing. If you're consistent and have solid finishes, it will probably be enough to move you into the playoffs.
4: Jeff, just to mention, think about where Jim McMurray was at Bristol a couple weeks ago when the 77 of Eric Jones was leading that race and possibly going to go on to win. That would have knocked Jim McMurray out of the playoffs, and he was having an excellent run. At times, he was competing for third on restarts. I followed him really closely, and he was having a great run, and you, as you mentioned, it was a very consistent run, mostly in the top 10 throughout the day, got better throughout the night, but it was one of those things where you saw that that what a win could do to mess up a guy that's been so consistent like him. And one of the things he told me going into that race about consistency was that it is probably one of the most consistent seasons he's ever had in his entire career. One of the best he's had in his career. But he finds himself at the mercy of a car like the 77 going out and winning and suddenly knocking him out of the ability to go run for a championship.
1: Jeff, how important do you think past performance is for the entire group of drivers that are right on the doorstep, on the bubble? Past performance at Darlington specifically, does that factor in? Does it not factor in at this point in the season?
3: Yeah, I think it does, and i tell you why. Most race tracks I look at, I want to see the last two or three races and because that's the most important. But at Darlington, and you see right here Chase Elliott, in the last two years, average finish of only 25th. Joey Logano, average finish of four and a half. So Joey Logano, he's going to have to win. But I just don't see the speed from Joey Logano and his team. If you look at the laps led on all these guys for the last two years, none of them really appear to be all that dangerous. The only thing I'll say about those stats for Darlington is that this track is changing at a, at a very rapid pace, and it's getting back to how it used to be 10, 15 years ago before it was repaid and it's starting to get slick and it's starting to get slimy and it's starting to eat tires up. I don't know that the racetrack, I know the racetrack wasn't like that three years ago. It was like that a little bit two years ago and last year was more like that. So I think experience on that old racetrack can really benefit people going to this race this weekend more so than two years ago. So uh, sometimes I like to look at the last two or three races because listen, I'm the all time winner in New Hampshire but I didn't win there for the last 10 years I went there. So did that mean that I had adapted to the track? In my eyes, no. So I think at Darlington, you got to go back, and you got to look at Matt Kenseth. you got to look at people that have been there and run there a lot on the old slick racetrack. And I think that's the ones that are most dangerous. And Matt Kenseth, to me, is the guy. Because he has been consistently fast for the last six, eight weeks, been in, been in position to win races, hasn't pulled it off. But Matt Kenseth at Darlington, I think you better watch him.
4: Jeff, I agree with you in the fact that basically with a unique racetrack like Donaldson, you have to have confidence. It's definitely a racetrack where if you don't feel confident going in there being that it's not like anything else out there, you're probably not in for a good run. But another thing to note, it is a larger racetrack, and so the cars that we've seen be fast, be successful in the mile-and-a-half racetracks like the 78, the 18, the 20, as Matt Kenseth, as you mentioned, they will be the favorites because Aero does play a massive role there, even with the tires falling off as much as Jeff mentioned. All
1: right, we're going to put the cups series down just for a second because the Xfinity series of course was the one that took center stage on Sunday at Road America a longtime underdog had his day coming up how did Jeremy Clements pull off a stunning upset highlights and more next on NASCAR America
6: NASCAR America is brought to you by new mobile one annual protection proven protection for one full year
1: Welcome back, everybody. NASCAR America back at the NASCAR Hall of Fame this Wednesday at 5 Eastern right here on NBCSN. This is an hour that is really unlike any other that we do here. And our special guests this week, Hall of Fame crew chiefs Dale Earnhardt and Ray, Ever- Ray Everham plus... Hall of Fame broadcaster Ken Squire also going to stop by. So tune in on Wednesday once again at 5 Eastern for our Hall of Fame show. Those are really special and fun. Uh, Cup Series off this weekend. Xfinity Series hard at work on the four-mile circuit at Road America. Parker Kligerman, the eighth Xfinity race at this four-mile road course. And you, my friend, picked up a top ten.
4: Yes, not bad for an old TV guy like myself, right? (laughs) But I had a lot of fun out there. We fought a little bit of brake issues throughout the race, but we pulled some great strategy. Mark Setzer, my crew chief, Got us out there in the front, and we were able to hang out for a
1: top ten. I love listening to your in-car audio. I thought it was great. Let's go back to uh, the first stage of the race here. Austin Sindrick in the 22, James Davison in the 20 on the front row. And at the start of this thing, it was Davison who would grab the lead in turn one.
4: And these two were the class of the field speed-wise, but it was James Davison who would go on to dominate that first stage. But it's not always the fastest car that goes on to win these races.
1: Yeah, the second stage, Parker, really featured Daniel Hemrick.
4: Yes, and he had a great run at Mid-Ohio. Kind of surprised some people with his road course prowess and then was able to overtake Elliott Sadler here and go on to win stage two, which is an impressive move by him, but it wouldn't ultimately lead him to victory lane, though.
1: Yeah, the story, Jeremy Clements and the 51, some strategy here, leading late in the race.
4: That he did. They were able to have speed in that 51 car, but then were also able to be on the newest tires at the end by pitting the latest. And then he drove like a man possessed who wanted to win this race and got all the way up to the bumper, going around Brennan gone here, all the way up to the bumper of Matt Tift, who was leading at time. And this was just so impressive by the 51 to be as fast as he was and pass as many cars as he did.
1: Let's take a listen to how it unfolded.
0: Coming to the final corner of the track, Great run for Clemens. Does he do it here? Takes a look. And diving down to the inside. Jeremy Clemens oh, now no. contact with Matt Tift. They both spin. Tift and Clemens come together, coming to the white flag. I think Clemens is still going to have the lead. He's got it righted. Jeremy Clemens comes to one lap to go. We began the day saying only a miracle would get certain drivers into the playoffs. Jeremy Clements was one of them. He's got the miracle in sight now. Next car back, Tift, is not within sight. It's just up to Clements now to take it home with lap traffic, his only barrier. The 32-year-old from Spartanburg, South Carolina, has found his way into the playoffs by winning at Road America. Unbelievable finish for the 51 team and Jeremy Clements.
1: A great call there from our own Dave Burns, Dale Jarrett alongside as well. So Jeremy Clements, the fifth driver to qualify for the Xfinity Series playoffs and the fourth to do it with a victory. And with three regular season races left, there is even more pressure now for drivers near that 12th place cutoff. After the race, Clements reflected on what the victory meant to him and his family-owned team.
5: It's crazy. I mean, we're spinning... Our budget a year is, is a fraction of a big team, so uh, this is just a dream come true. I mean, I, I want to drive for a big team, but it's, it's just it hasn't been the way it's gone. And, you know, I try to keep doing this to keep my name out here and get as much experience as I can in case I ever do to get the call. But, uh, hey, any big team guys, look, look at me. Let's go. So uh, just thank you. I got to thank my dad and my Uncle Glenn and all of them, my family. They're the ones that keep me here in this thing. I mean, without
1: them, I wouldn't be here. Jeremy, I'm going to ask you to go back to that move on Matt Tiff that you talked about earlier in 14. Why did you pick that spot there to Um, make the move? Well,
5: I'm I'm watching the replay there. Well, I I was really beating a lot of people right there. I could really get in that corner a lot, the last corner a lot deeper. Yeah, that's my fault. That was definitely not his fault. Now watching the replay, I got in there and got loose up under him, trying to keep off of him. But uh, I'm very sorry to him. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Very sorry to Matt. I definitely didn't mean to to wreck him, but uh, I've definitely had the better car, in my opinion. But uh, hats off to those guys. I mean, that's the Gibbs team. That's the best of the best. So uh, to be faster than them at the end was pretty dang cool. That was Justin Marks, by the way, that came over to congratulate him. And now congratulations to you. I'll let you go celebrate with your family. Thank you guys so much. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we certainly did. Just a bit more here uh, about Jeremy Clements. Began his racing career at age 8 in carts. He's continuing a family tradition that goes back for generations. His grandfather Crawford, his great uncle Lewis, both very successful crew chiefs and engine builders during the 50s. And the 60s. So you heard him say there at the very top of the interview, which is what this whole story is about, that his budget is a fraction of what some of these other teams have. You are in this world. You are in this race. How would you describe what this win means for him and his team and also the sport?
4: It's massive to see a small team like this go out and beat a Titan like Joe Gibbs Racing at the end and to show that it's possible. You know, one of the things that's great about these standalone events, not only do we get to go to a great road course like Road America, but it's the fact that small teams can suddenly compete because the big teams don't have some of the resources that they may have on a week-to-week basis being with the Cup Series. They don't have the Cup Series drivers there. And so you start to see a team like Jeremy Clemens' team be able to compete when they think things align, when they're able to out-strategize and just really out-drive. I mean, Jeremy did an incredible job in that second portion of that last run where he really, as I said before, drove like a man possessed. He just made speed where other people were not. He had conserved that car and was on the best tires and made sure to make the most of it. And that's what you want to see. That is what NASCAR is all about. It's about a guy and a team going out there and building a better car or finding a way to make their car the best when it matters to go out and win races. And that's what we saw here. And actually, our researcher, Big Show, got a great stat i thought that was really cool this is the first team that's not a cup team to win with a driver without cup experience since 2006 in the x series when david gillen won in kentucky so an incredible result for them
1: yeah and our thanks to big show for that so jeff with that in mind the fact that this hasn't happened in what over a decade what does that say about the health of the series overall
3: well first of all great job by jeremy clemens and his team and the un You know, the the group of that team that's not getting enough recognition, the pit crew. Think about that. A small team having a pit crew good enough to pit under green and not lose enough track position to take themselves out of position to win that race. Great job by those guys having a solid stop to keep them in position. You think about small teams, they just normally don't have the pit stops capable of doing that. So great all-around effort. But, you know, this is really what the Xfinity Series is, is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about drivers... Uh, Having an opportunity, team owners having an opportunity to compete at a very high level. They run this team much like race teams were run 15 years ago, 20 years ago. They don't have the funding to do otherwise. So, you know, a lot is said about cup drivers in the Xfinity series. And really, the bigger issue is the technology that's in in the Xfinity series. And unfortunately, I think Pandora's box has been open and it's very hard to get it shut. I think NASCAR has two feet standing on it trying to get it shut for, for the Xfinity Series. But it's going to be very hard to do. We're seeing the composite bodies come in. The composite bodies, everybody's talking about the direct cost involved in having put, mounted a, a composite body versus a steel body. That's really not where the cost savings is going to come. The cost savings is going to come if NASCAR polices this composite body the way they're going to have to then it limits the amount of wind tunnel time you've got to do. It limits the amount of research that you can do to make the body better. That's where cost savings come in. And not only cost savings, the opportunity for bigger teams not to gain an advantage and something that Parker just mentioned about Darlington being huge with arrows. So there are a lot of things that, that the Xfinity Series has become. Uh, the thing, it, 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 when I grew up, I, I cherished the Xfinity Series. I grew up going to South Boston Speedway, watching the Bush Series race. When I raced against Tommy Houston, uh, Jack Ingram, Tommy Ellis, when I raced against those guys, man, I thought I was racing against the best in the business. and it was because, But they had their own cars. They built their own cars. They did it out of their own shop. Uh, it, now you have cup teams providing vehicles for cup drivers or, or, or younger drivers, and it's become such a mismatch in equipment. Think about this. I want you to think about this. When I, before I ran my first year in Xfinity, well, we had a late model team. We had no full-time people. We just had a late model team. We worked at night. We built an Xfinity car, and we ran, I think, six or eight races that first year. No full-time employees. We we had one car and one engine, and and we went and competed, and we made every race. We we ran fairly well. You wouldn't stand a chance in doing that today. So it's it's something that NASCAR everybody's got to. And they are continue to do it. You've got to find a way for teams like the Clemens team to be able to compete on a more regular
4: basis to get back to
3: what the essence of the Xfinity
4: Series is. Jeff, you went into a lot of things there, and one of the biggest, I think, is that you mentioned Pandora's box opening. Well, how did that happen? It was the cup teams. It's not the cup drivers have been such the problem. I believe the Xfinity Series, and our colleague Dale Jarrett has gone into this a lot. It's the cup teams that have come in, and they bring so much, so many resources that they up the budget levels, and they've caused that disparity in having great equipment and some of the lesser-funded teams not having the same equipment. And that's the thing. How do you get back there? Well, what we're seeing kind of in the truck series as we look into next year is that you see some of the bigger teams as some changes are being made by NASCAR in the series, like Brad Kozlowski Racing is going to shut down at the end of the year, and some of the the people around it are saying, oh, you know, how will the series survive? Well, it's going to survive with teams like Clements Racing, like that team right there. It's going to be smaller teams with less personnel, less resources, but they're going to be able then to become the norm. And that's what's going to take to be competitive is that level. And I think that's what we're hoping to see the Xfinity Series go, is that follow that same path that the truck series may be going in. And that is to not – I don't want to say get rid of the cup owners, right, but in a lot of ways – Find, limit them, or if they have to leave because they don't feel it's a level that they want to be at, then so be it. Because it's more about having teams like this that allow a a lower barrier of entry so that guys like Jeremy Clemens can show the talent level they have to hopefully one day get to the Cup Series. That's what it should be all about.
3: Yeah, Parker, what what makes this so complicated is that the, the Cup owners that own Xfinity teams, they bring real value to the Xfinity Series. I mean, it's, it's not that they, it's negative that they're there. It's a huge positive that they're there because, you know, they bring stability. They bring things that are so beneficial to the Xfinity Series, they're hard to see. We're only paying attention now to the negatives. But when you think about Joe Gibbs, Richard Childress, Roger Penske, these these owners involved in the in the Xfinity Series, that's a big plus for the Xfinity Series from a stability standpoint, from a prestige standpoint. It's, it's not all negative. The problem is that you can't unlearn what you know. And when you are a cup team and you have access to so much technology, you don't, ha- you don't even necessarily have to take an Xfinity car to the seven post to do some things. To, to- you already know it. And those, those are things that in order for a ex- full-time Xfinity team, they have to go spend that money just to keep up with what you already know in the cup series. So it's a very complicated process. I, 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 don't ha- I, I will tell you today, and I don't like saying this, I don't know what the answer is because to say, hey, Joe Gibbs, we don't want you in the Xfinity Series, that's not fair. That's not, that's, you know, this is, this is capitalism, right? And that's not <laughs> fair to say, hey, Joe Gibbs, you can't be in the Xfinity Series because he has brought so much to the Xfinity Series and he gives young drivers a chance. Look at Richard Childress Racing. Look how many young drivers are driving for them right now. And, and so we, we're talking about the negatives, but we always have to remember that it is a real positive that the Xfinity team, the Cup teams are in there just trying to deal with that technology. That's That that needs to be dealt with, but it's very difficult to do.
1: No, it's a gray area, which is why I think so many people feel conflicted about the Xfinity series and it's the tough. presence of these big organizations to what you, ju- you were just saying. So, Jeff, do you think that there's any way to, I don't even know if this is the right term, but handicap those bigger teams without making changes to the technology? I mean, is NASCAR looking at rule changes or thinking along another path to say, all right, the big teams can be here and they have this technology, but we need to come up with other ways that some of these smaller, less funded teams can still be in the game? Or would that change the identity and integrity of the sport?
3: So the problem with rules, Carolyn, is you have to enforce them. And when you make rules that are geared toward a particular organization or type of organization, how do you enforce those? You can't say, hey, you can't go to the wind tunnel. Because how, how do you enforce it? You can't say, hey, you can't have a uh, sim- simulator. You can't have simulation. How do you know what they're doing back in the shop? So the problem with rules and, and, and very detailed rules in regard to we have to make it so these teams don't have access to this technology, the policing of that becomes, I want to say, almost impossible. And, and that's that's the difficulty in if, this. If if NASCAR could easily say, "Okay, Cup teams, we want you here, but we don't want you to use these resources," in principle, that sounds great. But the practice of
4: that, I think, is nearly impossible. Yeah, Jeff, that would be like tightening the box to a point that it just wouldn't be possible to make it happen. I, I think a lot of ways this is going to happen naturally. As I just mentioned in the Chuck series before, it's naturally happening there. And it's going to hopefully happen in the X-V series where, uh, you know, the teams are not able to garner the same level of sponsorship they did before, so they have to find a new normal, right? It comes down naturally. And I think that's the only way that this changes and goes back to what we've seen in the past. And I believe it is happening. I think you're seeing some of the cup teams that run Xfinity teams making some changes, trying to find ways to spend less and, and dedicate less resources to the Xfinity teams because that's what it takes right now. That's you're not able to garner the level of sponsorship they were 5 years ago. And so when that happens combined with some changes by NASCAR that we're seeing, I think all those things could come together to hopefully lower that barrier of entry as we talked before and then allow those smaller teams to compete in a more even playing field.
1: Well, when these organic moments happen with a driver like they Jeremy Clements, those things. Well, those things take yes. time, but with with Jeremy Clements and what he was able to accomplish, it makes it that much more special at Definitely. least for now. And this is a drive That took a Chevy that was built back in 2008, (laughs) and now he is headed for the Xfinity Series playoffs. There's a lot more to his story, though, than meets the eye. The road just to get to this point has been littered with so many challenges for Jeremy Clements, including a devastating injury that would really put his racing career in jeopardy. So we're going to bring you that shortly. Uh, But first, uh, throwback weekend at Darlington on the horizon. We're going to relive one of the sport's biggest wins. Bill Elliott became the million dollar bill. In 1985, in the Southern 500, that's when NASCAR America returns.
6: NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One annual protection, proven protection for one full year.
1: This coming weekend, NASCAR again honoring the sports history on Labor Day weekend at Darlington. Drivers and teams going to bring back classic paint schemes and expect to see retro-looking fire suits and crew uniforms as well. This year's Southern 500 celebrates the 1985 to 1989 timeline, one of my favorites. And Chase Elliott's scheme is inspired by the car that his father, Hall of Famer Bill Elliott, drove in his very first cup race at Rockingham. That was back on February 29th, 1976. Bill finished 33rd with engine trouble, so he earned a check for $640. And then nine years later, series sponsor R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company offered the Winston Million, which was a million-dollar prize to the driver who could win three of the four crown jewel events. And Bill Elliott stepped up to the challenge. He won the Daytona 500, won the spring race at Talladega, and Darlington was his last chance to claim the money and make some history.
2: There have been about seventy or 80,000 people who have won gathered here at the Southern 500 for 1985 to see this man primarily, Million Dollar Bill. Bill Elliott, who has won the Daytona winston 500s bill elliott needs to win this race to pick up the bonus one million dollars from the rj reynolds tobacco company coming to this race today there's been one name on the lips of everybody and that's elliott this team means to win the southern 500 the winston million and go on to win the winston championship the 1985 southern 500 is underway and as we become accustomed to see the red and white number nine of bill elliott is the leader you're looking at two tough race drivers right there the new breed taking over here in the 36th annual Southern 500. With Elliott out front, he sees a million dollars. When you take a look at Dale Earnhardt, he doesn't care if they're paying $5 to win or $5 million. He just races for the front. So Bill Elliott begins to assert himself in the early stages of the Southern 500. we got problems with Ernie Elliott and the crew are going to have to get busy with the crash of the speedway. It was a tire that went away. I heard it, Jack, it's H.B. Bailey. He is held up at the end of the only momentarily, Earnhardt is screaming around the racetrack, trying to get out in front of Bill, and he does so. Dale Earnhardt passes Bill Elliott under yellow flag, and Elliott is once again relegated to second. What you're looking at right now is Cale Yarborough in the Hardy's orange on the inside, and the Wrangler blue and yellow of Dale Earnhardt on the outside, and they both think they are the lead car in this race. Hale Yarbrough is the only one of the lead cars that pits on the back stretch. He ducked in, took advantage of that, and was out back before the rest of the competitors could hit their pits on the front stretch, and he inherited the lead. The Southern 500 is back under green flag, And right now, look at Earnhardt. He is just closing the margin between he this battle is going to go right down to the wire. And then have got to spin and turn to Earnhardt, and, and right in front of Elliott, and Elliott misses him. Boy, that was close. Bill Elliott almost saw the $1 million go away on the backstretch.
0: Wow.
5: Uh-oh. Boy,
2: Elliott came close. This will move Bill Elliott right to the back bumper of Kyle Yarbrough. Yarbrough trying to the rabbit. Bill Elliott playing the hound.
0: And oh no! An engine It looks like it's gone away on Cale Yavro. And look at Elliott go down on the apron trying to get around. Bill Elliott
2: once again a first disaster. Bill Elliott has just 1.366 miles to go. Bill Elliott is racing into the record books. Bill Elliott is going toward immortality. Bill Elliott gets the checker flag. Bill Elliott has won an additional $1 million in 1980. In history, a celebration going around the, International
5: the million dollar man, how does it feel? I don't know. I think it'll sadly some next week. I can't believe it.
2: We
6: want to present the greatest
2: driver that we've seen in a long time, and we couldn't be more happy to present Dawsonville, Bill from Dawsonville, Georgia, $1 million, and he earned every penny of it.
1: Where's <laughs> <laughs> the <a> champagne bottle? <laughs> Bill Elliott would grace the cover of Sports Illustrated. There it is. That's something that meant a whole heck of a lot to the sport at the time. And He's going to be honored as the signature driver for Throwback Weekend to celebrate winning the Winston Million. So he'll be live on the set for our pre-race show. That's Sunday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you don't miss that. We're going to be flashing back to the 80s all week long here on NASCAR America. Tomorrow we're going to look back at the breakout star of 86, and that was Tim Richmond became a rock star that year and redefined the image of what it means to be a NASCAR driver. So that's tomorrow. But coming up, we are going to show you one more tribute that Chase Elliott has in mind this weekend at Darlington to honor his father. That's when we come back on NASCAR America. Don't go anywhere. Saturday on NBCSN, the NASCAR Xfinity Series racing at Darlington, and then Sunday, 6 Eastern, the Cup Stars racing on Throwback Weekend. Hendrick Motorsports releasing a video showing what else Chase Elliott's going to be doing to honor his dad at Darlington. Let's take a look at that in today's social pit stop. We'll take a listen as well.
5: There's a photo uh, on the internet of, of him leaning down by the car. He had these brown loafers on, which I thought was pretty cool. The shoes are going to be pretty cool. They're, they're brown shoes that look like loafers, and I'm going to do my best to copy the hair before it gets dark. It's all you had. I mean, it, you didn't go and have 15 cents on fireproof shoes. So we didn't know what a fireproof shoe was like in that day. <laughs>
1: I got very excited about this chef when I first heard about it because I thought he was actually going to go big and wear some loafers, some real loafers. I'm not impressed. I'm with you. Where's the loafers? <laughs> but, but I still think it's pretty cool. What do you think?
3: Oh, listen, we laughed about my hair earlier in the show. What about him with, with that going on? <laughs> the perm. That would be awesome. Sweet.
1: It's still pretty cool that he's going to be honoring his father in this way, though, right? Even if it's not yeah. full tilt, real loafers.
4: It's cool, but it's kind of like pseudo cool. Like, I, I wanted no, it full cool. on. It's I cool. want full on. Like, he has to, what he needs to do is undri- get some real loafers, at least walk out and drive her intros in those loafers. Well, that's not they bad They can idea. put those, those other shoes idea. on for the car.
3: Parker, I think you had a great point, though. I think we should put start putting the pressure on Chase La, because he, all he needs to do is get a perm. Like, he... <laughs> He could do it. He just has to be fully committed to it. So I think right now, today, everybody start tweeting. Whatever you do, Chase Elliott. Hey, we want to see the perm, Sunday. We've That's got what tools we
1: for that. We'll bring him a crimper. Uh, a lot of Cup Series drivers. A what? Well, you we'll talk about we'll some talk sort of hair term. Later. I'm not we'll sure what it is either. Later. It um, listen, a lot of Cup Series drivers going on vacation, of course, during the final off weekend of the season. Chase Elliott decided to take his passport. He and Ryan Blaney made a stop in Amsterdam on their way to the Formula One Belgian Grand Prix, which is pretty great. And in addition to cruising along the river, Elliott and Blaney, of course, making sure to stop for a pint. And the message goes like this upset it was so small then was told it's a 13-percenter. <laughs> <laughs> so translation for you non-beer drinkers at home, that is a very, very strong beer in Ryan Blaney They're just stand. living up
4: their own version of Eurotrip yeah, right now. Yeah, which I'm
1: sure he learned uh, about a half an hour later. So Ellie and Blaney trekking through Europe, but a lot of other drivers actually in Las Vegas for Saturday's super fight between Floyd Mayweather and UFC superstar Conor McGregor. Kyle Bush in the house. Uh, he tweeted a shot here of the crowd as McGregor made his way to the ring. Eric Jones, Denny Hamlin also in attendance, which I love. Very cool. Yeah. It's a great thing. Denny
4: had the better weekend. seats.
1: Great way to spend the weekend in Vegas. Coming up next, well, they're expensive. Uh, Jeremy <laughs> Clements went on Sunday proving that perseverance really pays off. Both he and his family have had to overcome tough obstacles, including one that nearly ended Jeremy's career.
5: Probably the biggest thing that I recall about it all, the doctor said uh, well, Jeremy, what's your expectations and what we're going to achieve here? And I'll never forget, he said that uh, I just need you to make it grip a steering wheel. And (laughs) I said, well, that's about as good an answer as he could give.
6: NASCAR America is brought to you by STP, helping engines run better longer since 1954.
1: Welcome back. If you watch our coverage this weekend from Darlington, keep an eye out for some classic cars, including Dale Earnhardt's Wrangler Pontiac from 1981. The Intimidator earned nine wins at Darlington, second only to David Pearson. A.J. Foyt's Valvoline Oldsmobile from 1980. Five years later, the American racing icon made his only start in the Southern 500 and Mark Martin's Folgers Ford from 1990. Martin finished 6th in that year's Southern 500, but went on to win the event twice in his Hall of Fame career. And all of those cars are going to be prominently displayed right near our set over the weekend. So if you're at the race or you're watching at home, make sure you keep an eye out for this, because they'll be right near our set. If you go 140 miles from Darlington, that is where you will find Spartanburg, South Carolina. And it is a city that has produced NASCAR legends like David Pearson and Bud Moore. And it is also the home of the latest winner in the Xfinity Series, Jeremy Clements.
6: When we talk about tenacity and perseverance in the Xfinity series, one name comes to mind, Clements. Family operated business for over 50 years.
5: Uh, I'd say we got the knack from racing from my grandfather Crawford and his brother Lewis. Uh, they raced back in the 50s and 60s and they actually won a championship in 1960 with Rex White. So, uh, I was just born into it. Even at school they'd ask him what do you want to be? and he's always a race car driver. I mean, when he started racing dirt, it was like he started just winning all the time, and you know, he missed senior prom. I think I knew immediately this was gonna be his career.
6: In 2004, Jeremy's future was on the rise, but a broken part created a violent but rare accident that severed Jeremy's hand and career.
5: I remember I was going down the front stretch and then I just heard a big boom. Drive shaft broke, come through the sheet metal of the car and about ripped his hand completely off. My arm was like going one way, my hand was just hanging there. I remember riding to the hospital. They had me tied down, you know, crying and screaming. It hurt really bad. I sat in the operating room and held his hand and and, uh, was holding it to where they could wash all the debris out of it. I never forget some of the talk at that time was, you know, we may have to cut this hand off. We well, you need to tell us where we can take him then because we're not doing that.
6: After three weeks, ten surgeries, and a father's determination, doctors managed to save what was left of Jeremy's right hand.
5: I just remember waking up, being in a lot of pain. They actually told me that I'd never race again. It's like, I cannot believe this. I just, you know, it was just a shock. They had to sew my hand to my side to get a skin graft, and then they had to do bone and tendon grafts from my hip and my foot to get all the parts and pieces back in there. Probably the biggest thing that I recall about it all, the doctor said, uh, well, Jeremy, what what's your expectations and what we're gonna achieve here? And I'll never forget, he said that uh, I just need you to make it grip a steering wheel. And I said, well, that's about as good an answer as he could give.
6: It took over a year of therapy for Jeremy to regain strength in his right hand, but he returned to racing and re-energized the family name.
0: You know, when you talk about racing families, the Clements name is synonymous with racing. Tony Clements is the crew chief. He and Jeremy, they work on these race cars together back in South Carolina. They're out here running and have a chance to win.
5: I love this opportunity. I thank the good Lord for it every time I get in one of these cars and uh, never take it for granted.
1: Jeremy Clements and his family have overcome so much, and that's what makes what happened this weekend so remarkable. When we come back, we are going to tell you which driver who is right on the doorstep of the playoffs is going to join the show tomorrow. Stay with us. Quick reminder for you, the Verizon IndyCar series is uh, right here on NBCSN. IndyCar heading to the Mecca of America road racing for the Grand Prix at the Glen. That's Sunday, 1.30 Eastern on NBCSN right here. Tomorrow on NASCAR America, we've got a big day. You're going to hear from Clint Boyer. He's going to be at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Plus, we look back at the best moments of the year. This is the best of the season scandal, a.k.a. cannot miss. And we're also going to revisit Tim Richmond's 1986 Southern 500 win. So a lot to look forward to tomorrow. Jeff, quickly, Clint Boyer is such an affable guy. We know this. He's a great interview. We love spending time with him. We look forward to having him tomorrow. Have you noticed any change in his demeanor as that team gets more and more desperate to get into the playoffs?
3: Well, not really. I mean, I think Clint knows his strength. Clint's strength is, is being consistent. Uh, He knows that, he understands what he's good at, and that's what he's going to try to do. I mean, obviously, everybody wants to win races, but uh, Clint's smart enough to know what his strength is, and that's going out and eating up points. And I think that's what you're seeing him trying to do the next two weeks.
4: Agreed, Jeff. And I think it will kind of eat at him if he isn't able to get in the playoffs, just knowing how big an opportunity was to get in that 14 car this year, how much he knows he understands the opportunity. And I think we, we got two great personalities on tomorrow, Tim Richmond and Clint Boyer. Kind of reminded me of each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a big congratulations to Jeremy Clement. So we look forward to having Boyer tomorrow. That's going to do it for today. You can always go to our website. In the meantime, we'll see you at 5 tomorrow.